Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's have a word of prayer together as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, uh, we never take for granted or take lightly the privilege we have to gather in freedom today as we have brothers and sisters around the world uh, who gather in great danger. Uh, Many are in jail, many facing persecution. And this uh, Christmas season especially, we are reminded uh, of that. And uh, we thank you that we can gather today and uh, open your word. We can sing these beautiful songs that we have just uh, shared in, both uh, singing and listening to as a time of worship of you. We thank you that our children can meet and uh, study your word, continue to worship. Uh, We truly are a blessed uh, people as we've been reminded this recent uh, Thanksgiving week. And so we come to you and offer these few moments of our meditation on your word to you. May the thoughts of our hearts and our meditation be acceptable unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christmas uh, certainly is a time of anticipation. Uh, I appreciate what Kevin said. The the, the child in us, you know, when that snow was out uh, the other day, yesterday morning woke up and here the snow was all covered. Uh, It is is fun, isn't it? Um, If Kevin still lived in Michigan, about April... Uh, <laughs> when that snow comes again, as it did all last winter, and they had to go out and shovel it again, he probably would have said, oh, no, not oh, good. But it was good this week. Anticipation. You know, there's a word in the Bible that's kind of a unique word. And uh, as we talk about our longing for uh, Christmas, and it's a word that actually only appears twice in Scripture, but the interesting thing about it is that it's really only found in Scripture. Occasionally, there are words in the Bible that uh, are really not found in in other Greek literature from that era. There may have been there, but we don't have any record of it. We have similar words. In Philippians chapter 120, for example, we'll find one occurrence of this word. In Philippians chapter 1, and uh, let's look at verse 19. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I expect, I eagerly expect, eagerly expect, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. The word for, do we have the slide up there? Do we have that one slide? I just have the word up there. Uh, the word uh, apokaradokia, apokokaradokia, let's get it right there, apokokaradokia. That's the Greek word. An interesting thing about it is it's a combination of three words. And in our Bible, it, it's translated eager anticipation. And our, our thought for this week is the longing of Christmas, the longing for Christmas. And this word really uh, comes from the idea of, of to, uh, to, uh, to turn the head, to reach out for, to grasp, to anticipate. And, and the, the thought that kind of makes it an unusual word is to include this idea of, of, of to turn your head. You might think of, you know, uh, going to the airport and somebody you haven't seen for a long time and now rather than go to the course of the gate as you stand there like at SeaTac. 
and you wait for them to come up, maybe the escalator from the uh, satellites, or they're walking down the hall, and you're watching and watching and watching till you finally see them uh, come up. It's fun to go to the airport and see uh, uh, the families meeting and, and, and eagerly anticipating. And Christmas is a time of eager anticipation, of longing, of longing and looking forward to something. I think the child in us probably too. This time of year, everything is sort of fixed now on December 25th. We got our decorations up. Uh, we've begun at our house putting our decorations up with a women's uh, brunch this week, which is just a highlight every year of our of our church family for our women, and they'll be selling the tickets, incidentally, in the back afterwards, the last time, because they have to have a count. That's a wonderful, just good way to start the, the Christmas season. Um, we have special programs. Somebody asked me today if we'll have a Christmas Eve service, and yes, we do have a 5 o'clock candlelight Christmas Eve service, one hour, 5 to 6, right here in the sanctuary. And so um, this is the time we eagerly anticipate. Uh, maybe from our childhood, the idea, of course, you know, eagerly anticipating the gifts that we are going to get on Christmas. Um, it's been a few years since I've told you this story, so I probably can get away with it. But I remember um, as a child, the year my mom went down to uh, Sears uh, Bargain Basement and, uh, and, and purchased the uh, hockey game, you know, the kind that you go like this and turn to things, you know, and play hockey. And, uh, but she didn't bother to wrap it because it was so big, but she put it under the tree and gave my brother and I strict orders, do not open it, <laughs> okay? And we obeyed. We did not open it. But that almost made it worse, you know, for the next uh, few weeks, sitting there looking at the box, knowing what it is, knowing what's in there, and you can't touch it. You know, we were eagerly anticipating. I had an aunt who lived with us who, because she didn't have any children, and she was single, she had a decent job, um, she was the one that would buy the more expensive presents, uh, so every year we would anticipate, you know, she was the one that would buy the cassette tape recorder, right? The calculator, you know, yeah, now we're talking, right, Michael? All right. <laughs> and uh, she would buy the watch, you know, the skin diver watch, you know, that was good to, I don't know how many feet that I, I wore to school and got so much ridicule because, oh, you got a skin diver watch, huh? It goes, you're going to skin dive. And uh, it was the first, first one out. And then the first time I wore it in Green Lake, guess what happened? It broke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, anticipation as we come toward Christmas season. And as adults, you know, we anticipate different things. We don't anticipate looking under the tree so much. That's fun. But we anticipate seeing, hopefully, family and friends maybe uh, college students coming home, uh, maybe someone in the military coming home, somebody coming from across country that we haven't seen for a long time, our grandkids and children, uh, relatives. We are longing and anticipating. And uh, this word uh, in the Bible, I want us to begin today, though, by going to the Gospels as we consider the Christmas story. I just want to just, just touch on a few, kind of a survey here to show you that um, the, the key thought for all the people involved in our Christmas story, as we'll be reading it throughout the weeks, as we'll be thinking about it and reflecting on it, that the key thought for everybody involved is this anticipation, this longing, this eager expectation, this longing for what God is going to do for them. We begin in, in, in Luke, uh, and, and we look at chapter 1, and we hear the, the story of, of Joseph. And after the message had been given to Joseph, and, and the angel 
gives him this message and says in verse 14 that this baby will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, this is about, we're looking at John the Baptist here, the anticipation of, of John the Baptist from Zechariah. And that, and that he, will, he will, in verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. This baby that's going to be born to, to John and to Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The story of uh, Mary as she receives the message from the angel and as she reflects on this, and we have in, in chapter uh, 1, the same chapter, verse 46, you know, the Magnificat, Mary's prayer of, of praise and uh, celebration to God for what he is going to do. This, this is a marvelous message, and it's, it's a rather long prayer. But in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he said to our fathers, this expectation of what God said to their fathers, that he is going to fulfill, that he is going to see to this. The shepherds in chapter 2 of Luke, in chapter 2, and in verse 11, when the message came to the shepherds, and oh, let's look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I, have, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appear with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to man on whom his favor rests. This longing that these shepherds out in the field, this longing for their Messiah, for their Savior, and the message is given to them, and they go with joy and with haste and rush to Bethlehem to find this place where this baby is born and to celebrate. In Luke chapter 2, we also have the account when Jesus is brought to the temple. And we have the account of Simeon, an old man who is there in the temple. And when they, Mary and Joseph come into the temple, in verse 29, he, he takes the baby in his arms uh, we enjoyed uh, Prigmore's little baby up here today and uh, being with us. There's nothing wrong with the baby crying uh, during Christmas, right? We're here to celebrate the birth of a baby. And it's so good to have a family and their, and their children to come and these two little precious little guys are with them. And, 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 and as that baby was there and, and Simeon grabbed the baby in his arms from Mary and he proclaims in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And Simeon, who had been waiting and waiting, and then later the story of Anna, who, was, who has been a widow for decades, and she's in the temple every day, and if you can read this in verse 36, and the same with her, both these people have been had been longing for the Messiah, and he's here, and there it's revealed to them, the baby is here. When Joseph was, was given the promise by the angel, and amidst his, his concern and his fear to hear that, 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 Mary, that Mary is pregnant, and they are, they are engaged before they're married, 
And in Matthew chapter 1, and in verse 22, let me just read to you that, the, the, that he is told this. And then it says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, quote, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even the, shepherd, the, the wise men, the magi, when they, were, when they came, they came to, to Jerusalem and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have been following his star. And these men from the east, these wise men from Persia came, and they've been following his star and in, in longing to find this baby. So as we put these, and when we look at these various parts of the Christmas story, of course, and singing about these things throughout the next several weeks, the theme, and for those in the, in the first setting, for those who were involved in this actual event, this, this theme of longing and anticipation is so important, and it just it overshadows so much of everything that this is what they've been waiting for, the Messiah, the King of Israel, to be born to them. You know, this gospel expectation, this gospel expectation, you know, it's kind of interesting. This time of year, as you look at even the songs that we have sung this morning, you know, at our church you will hear the, the term uh, dispensational Bible teaching. And it's just simply, the word comes from the original, in, in the Greek, uh, to the King James originally, you'll find the word dispensation. It comes from the word oikonomia, which we get our word economy from, which means basically how God manages his household, the world, throughout the ages. How he does it. And anybody, you look back and you see how God manages his household differently. With Adam and Eve, when they were innocent and in the garden, he dealt differently than he does today where sin is so prevalent. And you see throughout the ages, you'll see how God deals with, with the world differently. And it's interesting. And of course, one of, the, one of the important teachings of dispensational Bible teaching, of our understanding of Scripture, is our, is our belief that the Bible, as much as possible, is to be taken literally. And that it means when God says there is literally going to be a thousand-year kingdom in Revelation, it says six times, a thousand years. That's where the word millennial comes from. We say, well, why not take it literally as much as, as there's no reason not to. And that we believe that the, the Messiah is going to come. And it isn't interesting at Christmas time that the, the whole world's sort of dispensational, I guess you could sing. Oh, come to us, promised one, we sang, we heard this morning from the choir. We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this longing for the King of Israel to come and fulfill his messianic promise that God had given. How, this, how a rose air blooming, if you look at the words, how it reflects on the, the prophet that said he will grow up like a tender shoot from Jesse, like a, like a plant, that, a plant that, that looks like it's so fragile that it's not going to make it, but it's cared for by God and it's going to blossom and it's going to bring in the worldwide kingdom. And we, 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 we sang, um, you know, uh, the birthday of a king was their prelude this morning. All these Christmas songs that just, that just shout this message of the king, the Messiah, who is coming to the world. And this was the anticipation. And why was that? Today's lesson is sort of a, a big picture one. And I want you to go back to Genesis. Why was there such anticipation? Why was there such longing for a Savior to come? The story, of course, starts in the beginning where it should start. And if you go back to Genesis, and Genesis chapter 3, 
I, I think you're, you're probably familiar with the creation story and God created the world and our earth and created life and it was good, it was good, it was good, except that man should not be alone. That was not good. And God created a helper that was meet for him. Uh, male and female, he created them. And we have this, this beautiful picture of, of paradise, of the Garden of Eden, where, where Adam and Eve cared for God's creation. They worked. It was good work. Uh, they didn't just do nothing and rest. They tilled. They took care. They, they watched over things. They, they watched over God's beautiful creation, and things were in harmony and working together. And they were in, in relationship with God, and they walked with God. But as Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God and did the one thing he said, do not do, do not eat from that tree. You can eat of any other tree, but don't eat of that tree. And they did. And it says verse, in, in this passage here that, that their eyes were opened and they realized they were sinful. And they heard the sound of God walking one day in the garden. They were hiding from God. They had never hid from God before. There was no reason to hide from God. There was no reason to hide for God any more than my grandchildren should, should feel like they have to hide from me because they're afraid of me. No, they were in relationship with God. But because of sin, it all changed. It all changed terribly. We will never understand this side of eternity how horrible and how, how terribly it changed because of sin. And because of it, in verse 14, as a result of, of being deceived and eating of the fruit, in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, serpent if, you, if you ever go to any of the lessons and carols at Christmas time, you will notice the story will start here. As we sing the various Christmas carols, I have a CD of, uh, of lessons and carols I listen to every year. It's the whole Christmas story. And it starts here, and rightly it should, because it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, because you have done this, serpent, cursed are you above all livestock, and all the wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, humanity. But he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that's what we call the proto-evangel. We talk about this time of year, the evangel, the gospel. And this is called the proto evangel, because it is, we teach this to our Bible instruction, our young people in, their, in our class. This is the first proto-gospel evangel. This is the first pronouncement of hope. This is, they, they knew they were sinful. Everything had changed. They were no longer in this relationship with God the way they were before. They are, they are, they are now tainted with sin in front of a holy and a beautiful and perfect and just God. And things that they have died spiritually. Because God said, in the day you eat of this, you will surely die. And God's word is true. And here they were standing there still, but they were dead. They died spiritually. They died spiritually. The Bible makes that clear. That we are dead because of sin. And God says to them, but listen. There is a day coming. When I'm going I'm, I'm to crush the head of this enemy, Satan. He is going to snap it. He's going to bite in your heel, but I'm going to crush his head. And we see this promise unfold throughout, throughout the story of the Old Testament to Christmas, and we realize this is, a, this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And all theologians uh, see this. This is a, the promise of the coming of the Messiah. 
that this, this is a promise that God is going to destroy Satan and it's going to happen through the, through the Christ, through the Messiah. He says to the woman in verse 16, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree about which I command, you must not eat of it. Cursed is, now look at this. Cursed, this is God's, God's doing this. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil. See, they worked before, but it was different than it's going to be now. It was in harmony. But now it's going to be different. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. It's going to be hard work to eat and survive. You're going to have to work hard and there's going to be opposition until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. And we see that everything is different. Everything is different because of sin. And then we begin the story of, of the dispensations of the ages that God, we see, we see this, this time when God deals with, with all the world um, and, and then he disperses them at Babel, at Babel, at Babel, the Tower of Babel, and they have different languages, and we have new people groups. We see later on, we see a man, Abraham, who, who we, we talked about the last couple of weeks, who is called by God, and God promises him. He calls this man, Abram, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he goes across the Fertile Crest and all the way to, to Canaan, to Palestine, to Israel, we call today. And God says to him, I'm going to bless you. And from this one man, God has been dealing with all the world. And now he chooses one man. He's still the God of all people, but he has a plan of salvation. He chooses one man. And he says, from this one man, Abram and Sarah, his wife, I'm going to bring multitude of nations. But one of those nations, from you, from you Abraham, I'm going to bring a nation of people. And you're going to have, there's going to be... And eventually we see the 12 tribes of Israel. And God is, takes these 12 tribes of Israel and he, and he calls Moses and he brings the, the law of Israel and he, and he says, I, I'm going to bring this plan of redemption to the world and I've called you as my chosen people to bring this good news, this plan of redemption to the world. I'm going to use you to do this. And from one man, he picks a nation from these, from these 12 tribes. And from this nation, from one of those tribes, eventually will come one man the Messiah, the King of Israel, who will become the Savior of the world, and he will come. And this is God's plan of redemption. And so there is great anticipation in the Old Testament. As we see the story of Israel's failure in the Old Testament. We see the story of God's chosen people. It's written very clearly there of failure to follow God and to turn to other gods and go after them. And in the midst of that, there is this message of hope. And I want you to look as we, as we trans, transpire all the way to the end of the Old Testament. You go all the way to the end of the Old Testament, and there's two prophetic books. The last two books of the Bible, if you turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 14, and these, these two books here, you get a, a picture of what the prophets have been saying for hundreds of years as Israel has, has wandered away from God. They were the ones to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, to bring the message of God. And in Zechariah chapter 14, and we read as we come toward, these are the last, last of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. We're coming to the close of the Old Testament. And in chapter 14, and amongst many other things, 
I want you to notice in verse 6, these are the kind of messages that they were hearing. On that day, Zechariah 14.6, on that day there will be no light, no cold, or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime. A day known to the Lord when evening comes there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. Verse 9, the Lord will be king over the whole earth, not just Israel, the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only one. This is typical of the Old Testament prophecies of why we come to the Gospels in this longing expectation of a Messiah. Because from this point forward, for 400 years, when you, when you go to the next book in the Bible, Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, and you turn to the last chapter of Malachi, and you read this prophecy from the book of Malachi in chapter 4, and we read in, 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 in verse 3, then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will, future, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And the Old Testament ends, and they are left with these promises that God is going to visit them. He is going to raise up a man in the spirit of Elijah who's going to turn the hearts of Israel back to God, and he's going to prepare the way of the one who's going to come, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Savior who is going to come and bring in this wonderful and great day of the Lord, which is, going to, which is the terrible day of the Lord, which precedes the wonderful day of his messianic reigning kingdom for the entire earth through Israel. And so when you come to the Gospels, there is great longing. They have been waiting for 400 years for this to happen. And after 400, friends, that's a long time. Our nation has not been around for 400 years, and we think our history has been a long time. 400 years. And after that long wait and being, being placed under the Roman authority, being subjects in their own land, he chooses these humble, poor, common people, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, he brings the, the wise men, the magi from the east. He, he, brings, he brings John the Baptist's parents, just, just one of many who are serving in the Levitical priesthood. But to these people are given the message, you are going to be part of this story of the redemption that you've been waiting for 400 years. This is the longing, the expectation of Christmas. What does that have to do with us today? You know, as we gather, and is Christmas for us, is Christmas for us just about remembering this story? 
just about once again, like I've said every year, you know, we, we, bring the, we bring the manger out. And when Christmas is over, for so many people, it's put away until next Christmas, and that's where the story stays, as a, as a wonderful, innocent baby born to Mary and Joel. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. Great Christmas carols, great readings, great scriptures, great time to remember. But what about the big story? What about the big picture of what is going on, what God is doing? What does this Christmas story have to do with us? What does the story of God's plan of redemption from the Garden of Eden to the end have to do with us? For we know what happened. We know that in that great longing for the Messiah to come, one thing they were not longing for, one thing they were not even expecting was that this Messiah would grow up and he would actually be God himself. They didn't quite catch that. And that this God-man would go to the cross of Calvary and die on the cross of Calvary? That he would die? And that he would be buried and rise again, victorious over death? And we believe as we look at Scripture and we see in the early parts of the book of Acts that once this had happened and was fulfilled, this kingdom could be offered. And the kingdom was offered to Israel. And you read Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and you'll see the speeches and the offer that if you repent, show your repentance by the immersion and of water and a change of your heart, God is going to send them back, and God is going to send this. And there was anticipation by those. That's why they sold everything and put it in common. They were ready and waiting for, for the Messiah to come the second time. But because the leaders of Israel kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting, God did something new that was part of his plan. That is us, the church, the body of Christ. But we believe this kingdom is still going to come. And I want you to see where you fit into this story. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. I've been in this passage lately in, in so many different situations because of being with people going through difficult times. We've got people right now uh, in the hospital going through very challenging times. We've had some uh, hardships. And, and, and we go to this passage so often, Romans chapter 8, where we read that all things work together for good. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, will he not freely give us all things? What can separate us from God? From, from, from any, can anything, even yourself, separate you from God for those who know Christ and have, and have received Christ as Savior? But in this passage in Romans chapter 8, there's a very interesting section that is, and it's in the context of suffering. Paul is talking about the sufferings that we are going through in this world. And, and those sufferings, friends, are, are because of sin. We live in a, a sinful world. We still live in the sinful flesh. And, and even though we are saved and redeemed and new creation, we are still here in this world that is so tainted. I mean, come on. Listen to the, listen to the news and realize the, the, the sinfulness and, and, the, and the difficulties and the hardships that people bring upon each other because of, because of the sinfulness of the heart. But he says here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, and I want you to notice here, with the glory that will be revealed in us. Who is the us he's talking to? Who is this letter written to? Who are the recipients? What's the name of it? Romans. These are Christians in Rome, in the city of Rome. These are Christian believers who received this letter. 
And Paul says the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So that means us too, because we are Christians also. Now look at verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation. There's our word. Apokaradokia. The anxious turning of the head to wait and look. And creation here, and I believe that this word here, creation, and I agree with uh, some of the commentators that I looked at, that, that really the general understanding, he's talking about creation, the world. Somehow, God, the, the creation is personified. Just like in the Old Testament, you know, the trees of the field were clapped their hands. When was the last time you saw trees clapping their hands? But the idea that even creation is personified in the sense that it's God's creation. Uh, the creation mourns in the Old Testament. And it says here that creation itself, all of creation, all of our world that's been so tainted by sin, what do we see in Genesis? Cursed is what? Cursed is the ground. Even the ground has suffered. Nature has suffered the results of sin. That's what the Bible says. God gave us that word. Creation itself is involved in this sinful rebellion and the effects of sin because of what Adam and Eve did. And it says here that creation itself is turning its head, as it were, and looking and eagerly awaiting what? But notice what creation is waiting for. For the sons of God to be revealed. And I think in this context... I think this has to be talking to Christians. That's the context here. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Creation didn't choose to sin. But Adam and Eve were put in charge to, to care for creation. And when they sinned, all of creation suffered. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Verse 21. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, think of this, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, as we turn our head and eagerly anticipate for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, friends, what is our place in this big, bigger story of the Bible? What is our place in this story of longing for Christ to come? What is our place in this eager expectation? How is it, how is it possible that What's going to happen to you and to me is somehow connected with even creation waiting for the day of final deliverance. You know, our, our belief at our church is that the hope that we have as Christians in this dispensation, this era of the church, the body of Christ, the dispensation of grace where we are saved apart from any works of the Mosaic Law, we believe it will find its fulfillment in the rapture. We believe it could happen at any time. And we believe after that takes place that there is going to be this terrible tribulation so clearly explained in Daniel and Revelation and Ezekiel in the Old Testament and the New Testament 
that there is going to be a terrible time of tribulation. But as it says here, this idea of, 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 of a woman in childbirth and the pain that comes before the joy of delivery, that it's going to culminate in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But even at that, there is still a final victory when God creates the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul says here that our world, creation itself, is straining its head for that time. We are already going to be raptured. We are going to be in heaven. We are going to be with Christ. Listen, friends, the key word here is that we, in verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What Paul is saying there, and it connects with what else he says in his letters, you and I have been given the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit that has sealed me until what? The day of redemption. I am guaranteed that when I leave this world, that there is a time coming where I am going to be resurrected. I am going to have a new resurrected body. It's going to be a body fit for eternity. It's going to be a body fit to serve God for eternity in His beautiful and glorious creation in heaven and His universe. There is so much we're not told, but what we are told, this we know. When we see Him, we will be like Him. We are going to, it's going to be me, but it's going to be different. And I'm going to be free. I'm going to be free from any touching or tainting of, this, of sinfulness because of what Christ has done for me because he paid for my sins. It's the Holy Spirit is my guarantee that that is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee that that is going to happen. And it's the first fruits. Christ was the first fruit of, the, of, 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 of resurrection. We have been given the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we are resurrected, when that glorious day takes place and we are in Christ's presence together, with, think of it, think of it. Brothers and sisters from all over the world, from the last 2,000 years of history, together with our Savior, Jesus Christ, He is the head and we are the body. Think of that. And what Paul is saying, I believe here, is when that takes place, all the world, all the angelic world, all the demons and the devils and Satan himself, they are all going to see what God can do and what is going to take place. And it will bring affirmation and truth to the story of the Bible that if you and I can be resurrected and changed, that there is a day coming when God is going to bring even the entire creation into the glorious resurrection and the glorious beauty of the new heavens, the new earth, and Satan is going to be destroyed and put away for all eternity. Amen? Friends, that is the story of Christmas. And this is where you and I fit in this story of longing. The world longs for that day. Creation longs for that day. And God has given us the first fruits of the Spirit. And I pray this week, I pray this week, as we begin to consider Christmas, I, I pray that, that you and I will live with that longing. That you and I will, 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 you know, it's a good thing. 
it's a, it's a good thing if, if, I, if, I, if I'm taken away from my home and, and live somewhere for a long time and God puts me down there and, and to enjoy that place and to, 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 to live in that place and to, to be there. But it's also a good thing to have that longing for, for my home. And God has given us the joy and the privilege of being here, but also of longing for that place and that day and that time where finally, even creation will be free from this sinful experience that he has placed us in. Longing. Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can ever separate us from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live our life. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly as they long for what he is going to do for us. Let's close our service with our final song. Let's join our hearts in prayer as we leave today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us, and we think as the Old Testament uh, scriptures closed with that expectation that put that longing in the hearts of your people, that longing that was fulfilled for them on that Christmas morn. So we read the closing of our, New, of our New Testament, and we think of the words of that old Apostle John, the last of the apostles alive, as he writes uh, that, that book from the island of Patmos, that letter, and he closes it. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The longing that the Apostle John had, the, the, the Apostle who had been with our Savior, Jesus Christ, that longing, even so, come again. And Father, we're thankful this morning that you have called us and given us the wonderful privilege and announced the good news to us and placed us in your family, the church, the body of Christ today, and that we have that longing as well for you to come and for our earth also to receive the freedom from the bondage of sin. And most of all, Lord, that we have that freedom today from sin. And we have the freedom to worship you, to love you, to be your family. That our children have that freedom to be called by your name. We thank you this day and with expectation and longing, we look forward to that wonderful day of the resurrection. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.